I'm sure you've noticed that there are seasons in life where you get invited to like the same thing over and over again. For example, weddings. Yeah, like you have this season where maybe you're getting married, you're in your 20s, whatever, your friends are getting married, and, and then they kind of, those invitations go away for a while. And then, like the stage Christine and I are in, our kids are getting married, their friends are getting married, and all of a sudden, every other month, or sometimes it feels like every other week, we gotta save the date, we got a, a shower, a couple shower, horrible invention, the couple shower. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I grew up in the wrong decade. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, they're, they're, you're just going to weddings all the time. And it's like, that's awesome. But eventually it's out of control. So I think we should take something from the Moonies and go with mass weddings. What do you think? Yeah? Like, you just go, okay, everybody's going to get married this year. Could you just do it one time so I could just kind of be done with it, right? I don't know. Maybe you like weddings more than me. But... We're not Moonies. We're not going to do this. But one thing we, we don't do mass weddings, but one thing we do do is, do do is mass interventions. We do mass interventions. In fact, that's why we invited you here this morning. Uh, you, we've all gathered here to confront you. You know, an intervention, it's when you walk into a room or somebody does and their friends are all sitting there and they have kind of taken this last ditch effort to see if they can, can talk some sense into you, to break through denial, talk some sense into you before you wreck your life. Well, we've gathered here to confront you this morning, right? That you've walked into one of those because we want to talk to you about an addiction that you probably struggle with because we all do, but, but, but some of us have a hard time admitting it. It's an addiction that doesn't have anything to do with chemical abuse or substance abuse, in fact, this, this addiction is safe, it's legal, uh, it's safe for your body, legal, completely legal, but it is incredibly damaging to your soul. There's no, as far as I know, at least no 12-step program that you can go through. There's no Betty Ford clinic that you can go to rehab to recover from this addiction. And like every other addiction, it gives some sort of rush, some sort of thrill that keeps us coming back for more. I, this morning, I want to confront you. I think Jesus wants to confront you about whether you're addicted to approval of other people. Hey, can you say with me, I, I am an approval addict. And what I mean by that is that I care too much about what other people think. In fact, if I'm just honest, there are many times where I care more about what people think than what God thinks. And that addiction, the addiction to the approval of people, comes up twice. Jesus brings it up twice in the Gospel of John. The first time is in John chapter 5. And Jesus asks them. And this is his confronting question. He says, how can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? And so Jesus, he, he, his strategy is to confront with a question, but you know how these work. I mean, it's not really a question, is it? Uh, it's a rhetorical question, so formally it is a question, but rhetorical questions are more like statements. What, what Jesus is really saying here is that you, you can't believe your faith will not be strong as long as you prefer the praise of people more than the praise of God. So in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes all these incredible claims. 
Jesus says, I'm God. Jesus uh, says that he's the light of the world. He says he's the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in him will live even though he dies. He, he claims to be the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to receive forgiveness, the only way to the Father. Now, when he's making these claims in the Gospel of John, some people believe in him, and they begin to follow him. But many don't. And if we could go and talk to those people who heard those claims and then decided not to follow Jesus, if we could do a, a quick interview with them and say, well, could you tell us why are you not following him? I think they would say something probably like, well, he wasn't persuasive enough. Or, well, there wasn't enough evidence. Or, well, I'm not a weak person and I don't need a crutch like that. In other words, they would explain their unbelief in a way that made them sound savvy and smart and sophisticated. But Jesus says there's something more behind that unbelief, that there's, there's more to that story. And what he says is that the reason, a, a, a big reason, that, that we don't believe in him is because we care more about the approval of others than the approval of God. And as long as that's true in our life, then our faith will be weak or maybe even non-existent. Because approval addiction keeps you from following Jesus. As Jesus' ministry kind of continues to grow and he continues to do miracles, he continues to, to teach people, there are people who are antagonistic to him, part of the leadership uh, that, 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 that hate him, that, but their heart starts to change or something starts to change in their mind and, and they start to look at Jesus and they go, well, maybe what he's saying actually is true. And, and they come to a point where they believe in him at some level. Like they believe that he's the Messiah, the one that God sent. So therefore, I bet they begin to follow Jesus, right? No. No, they don't. Why? Well, that's the second time in the Gospel of John that we come up against this approval addiction. Look how it says here in John chapter 12, verse 42. This is John, the author of the Gospel, speaking. He says, yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. And now this word right here, for, is incredibly important. It can be translated because. It's going to give the reason that they would not follow him. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. They won't publicly identify. They won't follow Jesus with their whole life. Why? Because of some intellectual doubt? No, no, no. Because they crave people's approval more than God. And those leaders, they're incredibly like us. Not much has changed in the 2,000 years. Not much has changed, even though we've gone on the other side of the world. We are a lot like them. They were determined to be the most important people in the most important group they could find. They were determined to be on the inner circle of the inner circle, right? They wanted to be in the room where it happens. The last thing that they wanted in their life was to be rejected, to be people that were overlooked. They, they didn't want to, to be seen as uh, people who were kind of odd or weird or weak. And that's why they needed Christ. They didn't want to be labeled as people who weren't fun, who weren't cool, who didn't get in on the joke. They didn't want to be labeled as being judgmental or, or maybe, how about this, on the wrong side of history. Well, really what's underneath all that is they just wanted human approval more than they wanted God's approval. 
It's almost like you and I, we'd rather die for Jesus than live for Jesus. Because I believe if someone, if someone kind of found us and said, okay, I, I'm going to kill you unless you uh, recant your faith. In other words, if you confess following Jesus, then, then it's going to cost you your life. Well, I mean, you know, nobody wants that to happen. And yet I, I believe that, that genuine Christians, most people in this room, maybe all of us would, would say, okay, I mean, I don't want that. But yeah, I'm not going to deny Christ even for my life. Now, you know, if they go, well, well we're going to torture you. You know, well, second thoughts. But, 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 but still, I think, I would, I'm weak though. I, still, I think that we'd still go, okay, yes, even torture me, kill me, but I'm going to hold fast to Christ. I'm not going to deny my faith. But if I have to follow Jesus and be thought of as unpopular or not you know, one of the cool kids, or not, you know, the joke, you know, if I have to be ignored or, or, or be thought of as irrelevant or if I didn't quite fit in somewhere that I wanted to fit in, if I can't be in the room where it happens, if I have to take criticism, if I, if I get labeled judgmental or on the wrong side of history, well, it's a lot harder. In other words, kill me, but don't make me be unlike, unrespected, unappreciated. The Apostle Paul picks up on that theme. In other words, he's heard Jesus in the Gospel of John. And he picks up on that same theme. And he says, what, what, what Jesus was talking about is true of me too, he says. So Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul writes, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, Paul's saying that you can't try to please people and please Christ at the same time. He says you, you, you can't be faithful to Jesus and be in love with the praise of other people. You can't exalt people's opinion and exalt God's opinion at the same time. Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. And Paul is saying, right, and you can't, you can't crave. You can't serve Christ if you crave God's grave people's approval instead of God's. Now, now why do I do that? What, what is it about human approval that, 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 that keeps me coming back for more and more? There's a thrill to it. And what's the thrill? That I feel like it validates me. That, that, that it makes me feel good about myself. When people accept me, I feel good. And when people reject me, I, I, I'm, I'm crushed. And then what happens is our identity gets wrapped up in other people's perception. So that if, if they think I'm likable, then, then I'm likable. And if not, then I'm not. So, so when I'm in the grips of uh, approval addiction, I am what other people think of me. So if, if, if busy people are the important people, then I'm going to tell you all the things we're doing. I mean, we are busy. We are families busy and work is busy and life is busy because that's what important people are. Important people are busy. Or, or if money define who wins, then I'm going to tell you through my actions and what I buy and what I drive and where I live and what I do, what I wear, that I've got the money. If knowing the right people makes you in on the in-group, then I'm not just going to hang out with the cool kids, but I'm going to let you know that I'm hanging out with them. See, what matters is what people think of me. And it's almost like this little, this little handle on my back that people can control you through their approval or disapproval. We care so much about 
what certain people think. It's a terrible addiction that affects millions of people. And what happens is, is, is not only do people control us, but then our life becomes like this roller coaster of emotion that we are up and down because we've given the right to, to, to say that we're valuable to other people. But do you want your life to be a roller coaster? Do you want to go up and down and ride that? Now look, here's the deal. We've, we've, we've gathered here to confront you because this is what behind interventions because we think that you're probably prone to deny it, right? We're, we're prone to deny and go, oh, that's my kids. Oh, that's my friends. There's something inside of us that doesn't want to care what people think. It sounds so pathetic. So let me just throw out some symptoms, and you kind of self-diagnose. Is this you? When you get criticism, do you get defensive? Like I have to defend my honor and defend my reputation and defend my record. Well, that might be because you have uh, addiction to approval. Do you compete and compare yourself to one another? So you have to be number one. You have to beat other people. You have to be better than. It might be because you're addicted to approval. Do you, do you feel envious of other people's blessings? Do you ever do that kind of boasting where you're not really boasting, but you, but you kind of want other people to be impressed with you? And so you say things, you drop hints. That might be because you're addicted to approval. Do you ever wonder what people think of you? It goes by a lot of names. When you're younger, it's called peer pressure. When you get a little older, then you say, well, I'm a people pleaser. Sometimes in some settings, it's called codependency. But whatever it is, wherever it is, at whatever stage of life it is, it is replacing God's approval with human approval. Do you ever find yourself like overcommitted, but you can't say no? Even when wisdom, even when other people that you trust tell you you have to say no, you can't say no, it might be because you're addicted to approval. And do you ever make a decision and then second guess that decision, wondering what other people think of your decision? Do you ever get easily embarrassed? Or, or embarrassed when other people see you do things? Like let's say you're driving down the, car, the road and you're singing in your car and you're just having a blast, right? It's fun, you're happy until someone at the stoplight sees you. Then you're embarrassed, right? Why? Because I care what they, I don't care I'm singing in the car. I care that you see me singing in the car. Do you ever sit in a small group and afraid to pray out loud because you're afraid your prayer will come out awkward and not eloquent? It might be because you're addicted to approval. See, see living, um, well, uh, approval addiction is such a part of us as human beings that if you don't see yourself in any of those symptoms, you might want to check and just make sure you're alive this morning. So, 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 so it promises something. And I want to go back to it promises us validation. It promises us this good feeling because here's the lie I believe. Here's the lie that I believe when I'm addicted to approval. I believe the lie that says, if you accept me, then I'm acceptable. If you think good of me, then I'm a good person. And that's what I want. That's what we all want. We all want to be acceptable. We all want to be enough. We all want to be okay. And so it's allowing you, the other person, to, to determine that for our lives. It's like, yeah, I'm fairly sure God loves me, but what I really want is to know that you do. I'm fairly sure God approves me, but what I really care about is you. And so then we just end up living in bondage, letting others have control of our lives, and we are, we're left with this very, very empty feeling. 
John Ortberg tells a story. It's kind of like a thought experiment. And he says, imagine you walk into a psychiatric unit. And one of the patients comes up to you and says, I had a vision last night that the 13th person who walked through that door today would be the chosen one, the holy one, the bringer of peace and beauty to the world. And that, sir, is you. Would your self-esteem like go up? Well, you're like, no, because it's a patient in a psychiatric center, right? Well, but that's the point of the thought experiment. See, we have idea in our head that if uh, people approve of us, we'll feel good, and if they disapprove, we'll feel bad. But that's not the way it works. That is not the way it works. Because in between people's approval and our pleasure in it, or their disapproval and our displeasure in it, in between what they think of us and how we feel, there's something in between there that's really important. And that is that we have to give their opinion a priority in our life. We have to assess their opinion and validate it. We have to say that we crave what they think about us more than what God thinks about us. So we are not passive victims to other people's approval or disapproval because their opinion of us is powerless until we grant it power, until we say that their approval matters more than God's. See, it makes us all wrestle with this question this morning. Do you, do you, not your kids, not somebody else, but do you want people's approval more than God's approval? Who is it that you're really trying to please in your life? Whose power, who have you given that power to? There's a book by a guy named Ed Welch called When People Are Big and God Is Small. And I love the title because it clarifies the issue. When people are big and God is small. That's what we do. When we live for human approval, we take people and make them big in our life. We take God, the infinite, almighty, all-loving God, and we shrink them down so that people become bigger than God. So we exalt people's opinion at the expense of God's. And we give it a place in our life that it does not deserve, that only God's approval deserves that place. And so what Jesus comes along and is saying to us in the Gospel of John is he's saying that a heart that loves and craves the approval of other people more than God will will not believe God's promises. When people are big and God is small, well, that person is not going to find the fulfillment that Christ offers. They're they're, they're not going to find the kind of life that God promises us to us. But the reality is that for every human being, whether you lived in the first century in Israel or the 21st century in America or anywhere else in between or anywhere else on the globe, every human being has a tug of war that's happening in their heart. On one side, I, I, I care what these people think. On the other side, I care what God thinks. And every day, that battle is waged. Every day, we feel that tugging back and forth. And every day, we have to choose whose approval do I want. My neighbor's? My bosses, my friend, my peers, my classmate, my my coach, the culture. Whose approval do I want? Social media, people on social media, do I want their approval? Or do I want God's? And until we decide that, we're never going to make any progress in our faith. Until we make that decision, it's, it's kind of one of those decisions where you make once, but never really quite once, right? You, you, you make it, but then you have to keep making that decision over and over and over. 
So maybe today's the day when you say, God, I want to live for your approval. And maybe you've never had that conversation with him before. And you say, Jesus, I, more than anything else in this world, I want to please you. Or maybe you said that before today, but you feel that tug of war still. And you want to come back today and say, Jesus, I care more about what you think. I want to make sure that God is big and people are small in my life in the sense that they don't control me. I'm not trying to live for their applause. I live for the applause of one person, and that is Jesus. I mean, think about Jesus. He didn't get people's approval, did he? I mean, think about him. He's sinless. He does everything right. <laughs> everything. He, he only says the right things at the right time in the right way with the right body language. Like Jesus does everything right, and yet they accuse him of being a drunkard. They accuse him of having a demon. They attack him. But who was Jesus trying to please? You know, my seminary professors, a guy named Stephen Roy, told a story uh, about a young violinist that lived in London. He was a prodigy, I mean, incredibly talented. But just as talented as he was in playing the violin, he was just that much scared to death of being in front of people. He hated crowds. So every time they would try to get him to go to the big London theaters and play the violin, he would decline. One time they prevailed upon him. They prevailed upon him to come and play. And so he stood in front of a room about this size, about a thousand people, and and just played the violin straight for an hour. No breaks, no nothing. And it was so beautiful that people just sat there in hushed tones. They're just quiet. The critics who had been out kind of taking notes, evaluating, they just put their pens down. And they just enjoyed it as if they were there, uh, had paid and bought a ticket to hear this kid play. When the hour was up, the crowd erupts. They're standing ovation. They're applauding wildly. But, but the kid, he doesn't really um, um, respond like you would expect. He doesn't seem to show anything, any facial expressions. He just sits and he just watches. It's like he's looking for something out in the crowd. Looking for something for someone they're not exactly sure what. And, 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 and then he sees. Whatever it is he's looking for, he, he sees. And he smiles. And he relaxes and he acknowledges the crowd. So after that, after it was all over and the critics are back behind the stage talking to the violinist, they ask him, why didn't you respond to the crowd? And he said, well, right before I went on stage to perform, I found out that my master teacher was going to be in the audience tonight. And and, and I really couldn't think about anything else. I couldn't really hear anything else until I saw how he responded. And when I saw him standing and I saw him applauding, it allowed me to hear everybody else. Do you see that's a a picture of what it means to say, I am not going to listen to the applause or to the boos of the crowd. I'm going to listen for Jesus's applause because I've set my heart on making him happy and living a life for the audience of one devoted to pleasing him. What I care most about is when I die that I hear from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. And if he's pleased, then I can deal with the other stuff. Maybe there'll be times where people applaud me. Maybe there'll be times when people are booing me. But he's pleased. That's my goal. That's what Paul, remember he said you couldn't be a servant of God and a servant of of other people at the same time? Can't please them both? Well, look what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. 
says, we make it our goal to please him. That's what I want to be true of my life. I want it to be my goal to please Jesus. Is that what you want to be your goal? To please Jesus more than anything else. This is my goal. This is what I'm aiming for. This is how I define success, that Jesus is pleased. Let's pray. Just give you a moment to think of who you want to please. Ask God to show you. If you don't know, if maybe you've been trying to please other people more than him, ask him to show you. God, is there anyone in my life that has become bigger than you, whose voice is bigger than yours, who I care about their approval more than yours? Tell God that what you really want is to make him happy, to make him smile. That in all your life and all your choices and all the craziness that in the years he's given you here, that, that what you really want to do is live a life that pleases him. God, you love us and you care about us. You sent your son to die for us. You make promises to us. And yet somehow my heart gets pulled away to care about more what other people think than what you think. God, I pray that you would forgive me. Forgive us, Jesus, for making you small. I pray that today and every day we would decide that what we want more than anything else is to please you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.